In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our reading is the Gospel reading, which you already heard. Please be seated. What's the point of the parables? I've heard it said that they are earthly illustrations of heavenly realities, and I think that this is true, but often the definition is stretched to make it sort of seem like Jesus simply told stories in order to endear himself to his hearers. But is this really the case? Well, so often Jesus tells parables in response to something that his opponents are actually doing or saying and sometimes even thinking. A few times, they even complain about how Jesus told that parable against them. That doesn't seem very endearing to me. The other thing about the parables is that they are often likened to sermon illustrations, which are intended to make a point easier to remember and easier to understand. But I think this also blatantly ignores both what Jesus says about the parables and how the disciples themselves often react to the parables. In next week's gospel reading, Jesus will say this, To you... It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus here says that he uses parables to blind the enemies of the gospel by hiding the truth of the kingdom of God in plain sight. But as I said, even sometimes the disciples themselves don't get it. Jesus says this thing that I just quoted from him in response to the disciples asking him, what did you mean by this parable? But something else also pokes a hole in the idea that the parables make understanding the word of God easier, and that is the parables themselves. So often they just don't make common sense. Consider the much-loved parable of the lost sheep, for example. The shepherd goes out, leaving 99 sheep in the open country, completely defenseless, no one there to guard them, to find just one lost sheep. In what world does that make logical sense? At some point, you would think the shepherd would cut his losses and save the 99 that he has already. Today's parable of the laborers in the vineyard is that way too. These parables are intended to challenge what we think about heaven and how it ought to work. And I often find that when you find whichever detail is the most absurd, that is the place that the gospel is usually hiding. And so in our parable for today, the issue of fairness is lurking front and center. The complaint of the workers hired first, I think, resonates with us on some level. After negotiating their pay with the vineyard owner, they went into the vineyard to work during the long, hot hours of the day. Having worked the longest, the physical toll would have been greater than those hired later on in the day, the third, the sixth, the ninth, the eleventh hour, 
And yet, at the end of the day, the master of the vineyard pays those who worked for 12 hours the same as those who worked for one hour. It's sort of like all of us older siblings who look down at our younger siblings and see how much easier they have it. Moms and dads are tired by the time they get around to that last one, and they just don't have to bear the, the scorching heat of the day. If that's not the textbook definition of unfair, I don't know what it is. In an age where some are very concerned about equal pay for equal work, our Lord's parable about unequal pay for unequal work may not make a lot of sense. I looked back and once or twice on preaching on this parable, I made the point that McDonald's cashiers should, by definition, be making less than the guy who runs the store. But our world has become so messed up that a kid can make $15 to $20 an hour working at McDonald's. Now hold on to that idea for just a minute about this parable not making sense. To make matters even more unfair, our Lord ends the parable with a phrase that might prove to be a bit enigmatic without a clear understanding of what's actually at stake here. He says, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. Would it make sense for today's Detroit Pistons to be crowned the NBA champions at this point? They've won, what, one or two games all season? The last will be first, after all. What makes this even more interesting is that the parable of the kingdom of heaven is what this is about. It's about heaven and how it works. When Jesus tells parables like this, his intent is to illustrate some aspect of the kingdom that is difficult for us as fallen men to understand. In other words, Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of heaven does not operate in a manner that sinners would deem fair, and this smacks against the notion that people ought to be rewarded for hard work and merit, rather than on social rank or bloodlines. Our country was founded on this very principle. We are naturally suspicious of nepotism. And this is because it rewards people based on who they know or who they're related to, rather than how hard of a worker they actually are. This is why there's so much fighting today over things like affirmative action and DEI policies at workplaces and universities. They are against the very notion of hard work earning a spot. And this kind of attitude, which clings so tightly to the children of the founding fathers, is on full display in the workers hired first. They think that they should be rewarded for their work. They want to be paid for what they did, but if the kingdom of heaven were truly a meritocracy, it would be a truly terrifying thing. When the master, who is the Lord, confronts those who complain about the unfair wages, he throws them out with a harsh rebuke. Take what belongs to you and go. Just as Adam was sent out of the Lord's garden in Eden, so also were these men sent away. The scriptures tell us that by works of the law, no human being, no man will be justified in God's sight. That means that nothing 
that we have done can earn God's love and favor. In fact, St. Paul tells us in Romans that what we have actually earned from God by our work, on the wages of sin, what we have earned is death and hell, God's eternal wrath and his displeasure. If we want the kingdom of heaven to be fair, this is actually what we're asking for. If we want to be rewarded for our work, well, what we take as ours is hell. But thanks be to God that the kingdom of heaven is not fair as men count fairness. The wages of sin may be death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, says St. Paul. It is by grace that you have been saved not a result of works, but by faith. And that faith, says St. Paul, isn't even your own doing. It is the gift of God, a free gift of God in Christ Jesus, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, you do not want a God or a heaven who is fair. You want a God who operates like this who operates from a point of view of grace. And this, dear saints, is precisely the kind of God that we have presented in the parable before us, precisely the kind of God who is presented to us in the Scriptures. We have a God who does not punish us temporally or eternally like we deserve, but instead we have a God who takes on our flesh and He takes on our sin. Jesus Christ, who is himself this God, takes on the punishment that we have earned by his death on the cross. The one who is first has been made last. And he bears the full heat of the day, or rather the full heat of the wrath of God. The beloved Son of God was stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God all this, that you would not get the wrath and the condemnation that you have earned from God by your many sins, but would receive grace upon grace through his Son, Jesus Christ. And so the kingdom of heaven, dear saints, is not given to those who are good or hardworking. God gives his kingdom to poor, miserable sinners who know that they deserve his temporal and his eternal punishment. He gives the kingdom of heaven to the repentant thief on the cross and to the tax collector who wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. This is how our God operates. It is not fair as we count fairness, but his ways are not our ways, and thanks be to God that they are not. God works among sinners by his grace. Though our works and conduct have no worth or merit in God's sight, we are made holy and righteous by the work of Christ. This is our firm foundation. For though we know the fallen condition of our hearts, we also hear the Savior's voice calling us into his vineyard to live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. In Jesus' name. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, 
Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.